0: Friends, if you have your Bibles with you today, please open with me to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. We're continuing to make our way through the Ten Commandments. Today we're looking at the Seventh and Eighth Commandments. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 14 through 15. I invite you, if you're able, please stand with me in the honor the reading of God's Holy Word, Exodus 20. Verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Pray with me, please. Our Lord and God, it has been so good uh, to study your law these past several Sundays. And we recognize the big picture here that you're teaching us how to love you and you're teaching us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And God, as we continue uh, to consider these commandments, these two commandments that we're dealing with today, Lord, would you indeed open our hearts and our minds to receive your word? Lord, we have several of us here who come with so many distractions on our hearts and minds. And Lord, we want to, even right now in our hearts, we just want to lay those cares, those anxieties at your feet, King Jesus. We cast them upon you, and we pray that you would prepare us now to receive the Word of God. Continue to mold us into your image, O Lord. Teach us of yourself, we pray. All of this we ask as your people, in Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Friends, we all know the story of David in the Bible, don't we? And as we think back upon the life of King David, it was a life that was filled with both triumphs and hardships, a life that was filled with many victories and many bad mistakes. But you know, even though he started out as just a shepherd boy, we remember many of the great triumphs that happened in the life of David. You know, even though David was the youngest of Jesse's sons, it was David who was anointed king by Samuel, wasn't it? It was David who killed the lion and the bear. It was David when the king of Israel, Saul, had no courage And none of the Israelites had no courage. It was David who stood in the Eli Valley and faced the giant Goliath, and God gave him the victory. It was David, the Bible says, who became the mighty military warrior, the king of Israel. It was David who wrote many of the Psalms that we read Today, even the Bible speaks of David and says he was a man after God's own heart. But friends, we also remember many of the troubles, the hardships, even the mistakes of King David, don't we? We'll put one passage upon the screen, a passage I know you're familiar with. This is out of Second Samuel 11. Here's what it says. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? so david sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her and the woman conceived and she sent and told david i am pregnant friends as we remember this story from second samuel let's also remember the verse from second excuse me from first corinthians chapter 10 Verse 12, the Bible teaches us, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Friends, the temptation to sin affects every single one of us, even great kings, even men who are described as men who were after the heart of God. And in this specific instance, Let's see that two sins, both the sins of stealing, particularly another man's wife, and that of committing adultery, both of those sins took full effect in the life of the man after God's own heart. Yes, even King David. And friends, these sins not only had huge consequences for David, but they had consequences for his family for the family of Uriah, even for the nation of Israel. Dear friends, today we continue to make our way through the Ten Commandments. And today we come to the Seventh and Eighth Commandments. Commandments that deal with both adultery and with stealing. And as we've learned, God's law, the summary of the law is to teach us what, how to love God and how to love our neighbor as ourselves, So let's zoom in and examine these two commandments and let's see how they teach us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's first look at that seventh commandment. It's verse 14 in your text. Let's reread the text. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. Now, as we've done over all these weeks, we've looked at these commandments. We're going to use the aid of the shorter Catechism to help teach us. Remember, the Catechism asks two questions for every commandment: what is required and what is forbidden? Let's take a look at these two questions. And again, as a reminder, please use the um, the outline that's on the back of your bulletin that'll help you follow along through this sermon. Question 71 asks, What is required in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. Question 72 What is forbidden in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment forbiddeth all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. Friends, before we talk about adultery specifically, let's be reminded of a beautiful truth from the book of Genesis. It is clear from the very beginning when God created that He created man and woman and that He created them to be attracted to each other. God desires that men and women enter into marriage relationships And that those relationships should have mental, emotional, verbal, even physical dimensions. In fact, marriage was instituted by God. In the time of man's innocency and uprightness, God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Thereupon, God created woman of man's own substance and He brought her to the man. In fact, God said that man should leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. Let's remember that Jesus himself honored marriage when Jesus was present at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And he confirmed it as a divine ordinance not to be severed when he said this, Therefore what God hath joined together let no man put asunder. The Apostle Paul talks about the sacred and the exalted nature of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll talk more about in just a moment. But in that chapter he likened marriage to the mystical union that exists between Christ and His church. So friends, as we consider the mental, the emotional, even the verbal and physical relationship between a man and a woman, know that it is good and it is proper in the sight of God for all of that to take place within the bonds of marriage. Now, knowing that, as we consider this commandment, the commandment on adultery, what we're talking about is an attack, an assault upon the good creation of marriage. You see, adultery assaults the good plan that God created for you and your spouse. It attacks your marriage in many and several dimensions according to the catechism. And today we want to consider the dimensions in which adultery attacks this good thing called marriage. The Bible teaches us and the Catechism reiterates that the attack comes on our hearts and minds, in our words, and in our actions. And that God calls us as believers to preserve the goodness of marriage and to be for that to be protected against the assault of adultery in our thoughts and hearts within our words and within our actions. Let's look at those three dimensions, dear friends. First of all, God has called us to preserve our hearts and our minds against the assault of adultery in our marriages. We're going to put a verse up on the screen. This is Proverbs 4:23. This is the NIV translation of it. Dear friends, this is something I want you to memorize. Teenagers and children, look up. Look at this verse. Memorize this verse because it teaches us all above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, what th- what does that mean? The most important thing Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Believer, we are called by God to preserve our relationships, specifically the marriage relationship, by guarding our heart. Now let's talk about this word guard. Guard your heart is the command. What is the function of a guard? Think about that. What is the function of a guard? Right now at the White House, there are many, many guards, right, all around the White House. What's the function of a guard? Well, to a a certain degree, you have to say the function of a guard is to let some people in but keep a lot of other people out. That's the function of a guard. You see, to to be a guard, you have to set a boundary. A boundary. A guard sets a boundary. And just take the guard at the White House. There's a boundary there around the White House, and that guard is going to let... There's a few people he'll let in, but his function is to keep a lot of people and a lot of trouble out. So keeping keeping some things in, but keeping a lot of things out. Friends, just as that is the guard's job at the White House, the Bible is teaching us as believers to guard our hearts. That means that you and I are called to set boundaries within our hearts. And that means we're to allow some things in our heart, but there's some things we're probably going to need to keep out of our heart. So as we consider guarding and boundaries, we ask ourselves maybe some of these questions as it relates to adultery. What are we going to let in our hearts? And what are we going to keep out? What things are we going to look at? And what things are we not going to look at? Because we recognize that in our lives, Many times, looks turn into lusts. We might ask this question. What places are we going to go? And what places should we not go? Where's that boundary? Above all else, guard your heart. Let's apply those same questions to David. We just read the story of David from 2 Samuel Let's apply those questions to David. You see, if David had decided to set a boundary with his eyes, even though his eyes caught the look of someone, he would have known not to let that look turn into lust. But he didn't guard his heart. He didn't have that boundary. He should have taken the counsel of Job 31.1, which says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another person. You see, friends, if David had had this guard, if he had had this boundary, what would have happened? He would have preserved his own life. He would have preserved the life of Of others as well, wouldn't he? He wouldn't just be looking out for himself. He would be loving his neighbor, Uriah and Bathsheba, as himself. But he didn't do that because he had no guard, no boundary. How about the boundary of place? You see, once David learned that walking on the roof of that palace put him in a place where he could be easily compromised, it would have been wise of him at that point to say, you know what, I need to guard my heart right here. There needs to be a boundary. Can I walk on the top of the palace on the roof? Yes, but should I? Probably not. And that's one of the lessons from Scripture. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's helpful. And in this particular case, for personal sanctification, David need to, he needed to acknowledge the place he was going, and realize how this was going to be a place that would cause him to be to to compromise who you know his relationship with God and other people, and he needed to guard his heart. He needed to put up that boundary. Friends, Jesus says in the Word of God that anyone who looks lustfully upon a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. Therefore, above all else, guard your hearts. Now, we've seen the text. We've seen how it applies to David. Now, bring it home to yourself. Bring it home to me. What boundaries? What guards? are in our lives that enable us to preserve our own lives and the lives of our neighbors? What boundaries, dear spouse, will protect your marriage, will preserve your marriage and the marriages of others around you? Things for us to consider. What are we going to look at? Where are we going to go? The same questions David could have asked of himself. You know, we live in a time where it is so easy to access images, things to look at that will cause us to stumble in our hearts and in our minds. Friends, we need to guard our hearts on things like our computers, on our smartphones, on our television sets. We need to guard her even the places that we go. Think about this. Is there a place in that, that, that you go that when you're in that place, you're going to be easily compromised in your heart and in your mind that might lead you to improper actions? Above all else, dear friend, guard your heart. And when you think about your mind, what are the things that you're putting in your mind? Let me give you an encouraging verse. Memorize this one as well. This is Philippians 4:8. If you're thinking, well, if you're asking, what should I think about? What should I put in my mind? What, what are some God-honoring things that as a guard I should let in? We've talked about things maybe you keep out, but what should I let in, right? What should I let through that gate of my mind? Here it is, dear friend. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. It is so easy in this world, dear friend, to get caught up in the images and the places they are going to tempt you to sin against God, even in your hearts and your minds. Above all else, dear friend, guard your hearts. But the second dimension the catechism talks about is our words. There's heart and mind and then secondly, there's our words. Did you know that God has called us to preserve our words against the assault of adultery in our marriages? Look at the text. This is Ephesians 4, 29, another one to memorize. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Here's the question. Your language, my language. Is our language with others, is it edifying? Is it uplifting as it regards Faithfulness to the marriage relationship? Or does our language use things like coarse joking? Or does it ridicule the beautiful design of the good blessing of marriage? You know, it is so easy in this world to get caught up and be tempted to joke as the world does concerning marriage, concerning adultery. And... Um, uh, this makes me think of something in uh, uh, in seminary. We were actually uh, it, it was a class that the, the church and the world. the The professor of the uh, the class asked all of us to to watch a sitcom. Like take take a popular sitcom and watch five straight episodes of it. And I remember I did that. And uh, you know how the it has the audience laughter uh, in the sitcom. I can't tell you how many times um, the good nature of marriage was just trashed on that sitcom. And things like adultery and cheating uh, were exalted uh, on the sitcom by the world. And people would just kind of laugh it off and, and make a joke out of it. And you really see the world's view of, of marriage and adultery kind of come through. But God, dear friends, has called us to our very high use of our words and that our words should speak of the beauty that he has created in the marriage relationship. You see this verse that we looked at, only use words that are build that will build up. Edify, right? Build up. What's the opposite of building up? Tearing down. You know, we have a choice with our words. We can do one of two things. We can build up or we can tear down which one are we going to do with our words guard your words dear friends let your words let your words protect the good thing that God created in marriage and preserve your life and the lives of others against adultery but the last dimension is that of actions god has called us to preserve our hearts and minds Our words, but then our actions, right? Our actions against the assault of adultery. This is what Hebrews says, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. If you want to ruin the joy of marriage, be involved in adultery, because that is the definite way to do it. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, Beware, dear friend, of the deceitfulness of momentary gratification that will lead to long-life recrimination. Friends, as opposed to the action of adultery, what's God's answer to that? Faithfulness. Adultery assaults what God created. But faithfulness supports the design and the beauty of what God created in marriage. Listen to how the Bible describes marriage. Did you know that in Ephesians 5, God describes the earthly marriage relationship between a husband and a wife as a dim picture of the heavenly relationship between Christ and His church? You see, before the foundation of the world, our Heavenly Father had already selected a bride for His Son. And that bride is the church. And as we know, the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, He loved His bride to the uttermost, dying for her on the cross to give her salvation by grace through faith. And since God has chosen to compare Christ's relationship with his church to that between a husband and a wife, we see that the foundation of marriage is a covenantal foundation. You see, when God uh, made a covenant with you to be faithful to you, the picture he used is that between a husband and a wife. And I want you to know that God wasn't just a covenant-making God. He was a covenant-keeping God. God was faithful, caring, compassionate, loyal, and loving, even to the point of His death. So, dear friend, because of Christ's faithfulness to you in His covenant, set before yourselves in your marriages not only to be covenant-makers with each other, but covenant-keepers with each other. Be faithful. To the promises that you gave to your spouse, just the same way as God is faithful to you. Preserve your actions. The last commandment we'll look at today is the eighth commandment, verse 15. The Bible says, You shall not steal. Again, let's use the help of the catechism. What is commanded or required? What is forbidden? The eighth commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And then secondly, the eighth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. Friends, when we look through the scriptures and we see what else the Bible has to say about stealing, we find ourselves again in the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul uh, is talking to a group of of Gentile believers who had come to know the Lord in the midst of paganism. And what was normal for them was not going to be normal for believers. And he was writing to them and saying, Look, don't go back to that old man that you were. Live out the new man in Jesus Christ. Here's the way he puts it. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now we'll leave that verse up just a second. I want you to see the double command in the verse. Paul says not to do something, but then he says, instead of not doing this, do this. Do you see it? Don't steal, he says, the negative command, but there's a positive. What is it? Do work so that you can be helpful and useful. Here you see the command to be diligent, hardworking. And what Paul is saying is that stealing is the way of that old man. Before you came to know Jesus, that was your way of life. And stealing, if you think about it, only looks to the interest of self. But now that you're in Christ and that you've been served by Christ and Christ has loved you, you love each other, now work hard so that you can provide for yourself. And if there's someone out there that has a real need, you can be ready to help them. You can be ready to be merciful to that person. People have real Needs. We looked at 2 Thessalonians a few weeks ago. You remember the verse that says, If a man is not willing to work, he shall not eat? It talks about that willingness to work. You know, some people are willing to work, but they simply can't. That's the person that has a real need. So if we who can work, work and work hard, when someone who is willing to work but can't, when that person has a real need, the Bible says that's the opportunity to be merciful, to be helpful to that person. A very high view of work ethic. Let me also talk to you about Proverbs 9. In Proverbs 9, the Bible says that stealing is a characteristic of folly, not wisdom. You remember last week when we looked at Proverbs 9, we we talked about the, the difference between a... Um, A foolish man and a wise man and the way he responds to reproof that the the foolish man steps forward to strike and the the wise man steps back to, to receive the admonition. I'm going to go back to Proverbs 9. In fact, this week I challenge you, go read the whole chapter. Because in that chapter, the author of Proverbs personifies folly and wisdom. And he talks about Lady Folly or Lady Foolishness and Lady Wisdom. And within that one chapter, what you're going to find are aspects of each lady. And the Bible's going to say in that chapter that Lady Folly is described as someone who's very lazy, who steals. But if you look at the end of her life, it leads to death. Not only physical death, but death of her relationships, death of her job. So many things about Lady Folly lead to destruction. And the Bible is teaching us to see the end from the beginning. But Lady Wisdom, on the other hand, in Proverbs 9, she is the one that works hard. She is the one who is diligent and sets her table. She is the one who's ready to help other people when they really have a need. And by the way, when you look at the end of her life, it leads to life. Thriving relationships. Good work ethic. Being able to provide for her family. Life, dear friends. So I want you to see the Bible is very clear. Sin or Stealing, it says, is a sin described to the old pagan life there in Ephesus. But believers, we are called to work hard, not just for ourselves, but so we can be a benefit to others when they have a time of need. Stealing is an aspect of folly, hard work, that of wisdom. So dear friends, as we close today, what can you take from these two commandments? Maybe you're here today and you're asking, how can I love my spouse today? How can I love my spouse? The Bible's answer, preserve. Preserve your heart and your mind. Preserve your words. Preserve your actions. Above all else, guard your heart. Get Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 out and say, here's the things I need to be thinking about. Ephesians four twenty nine. here's the things I need to be saying that are uplifting and not tearing down. Here's the things I need to be doing because Christ did these things for me. And by the way, as you do those things, as you love your spouse, I want you to know that you're loving your neighbor as yourself. Because when you preserve your life and the life of your spouse, you're also preserving someone else's life. If David had done that for himself, he would have preserved the life of the lives of Bathsheba and Uriah. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, how can I love my neighbor? Work hard. Don't steal. Understand that hard work is a characteristic of wisdom. Stealing is a characteristic of folly. And if you really want to help someone, work hard so that when someone has a real need, You can offer them that mercy. But maybe, dear friend, you're here today and you say, Pastor Adam, guess what? I've messed all these up in my life. In my heart, in my mind, in my words, in my actions, in stealing. Well, dear friend, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to call the righteous. He came to call the unrighteous. In the Lord Jesus Christ, not only is there forgiveness through his blood, there is restoration through the power of the gospel. Just as Christ forgave the adulterous woman in the book of John, he will forgive you today. Christ makes all things new. If you've never given Christ your heart, come to him, repenting of him. Just as David did in Psalm 51, David admitted what he did to the Lord and was restored by his God in Psalm 51. Maybe that needs to be you today. God will create in you a clean heart, dear friend. And you can find restoration in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today. And we pray, God, that as it goes forth, as it works in our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit, be amongst us, we pray. Bring about repentance. Bring about Standards we pray. Above all else may we guard our hearts, O oh God, as we seek heart after Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.